good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the Wednesday, March 14th, 2018 edition of our little weather get-together. We're happy to have you tonight, and uh, we have a great guest on tonight, Jonathan Erdman. He uh, works for the Weather Channel, uh, more on the digital side, but uh, he has been on TV uh, in the past. So we're, uh, Jonathan's our guest tonight, and we're um, no real topic to talk about, just kind of um, shoot the breeze. Uh, we're going to talk about anything and everything weather tonight. So uh, we're happy to have you with us uh, along for our little podcast here. This is a live broadcast. So at any time tonight, if you want to ask Jonathan a, a question, uh, you may do that on any of our uh, various platforms. We're on uh, uh, Periscope, Facebook Live, our YouTube page. And uh, if you are listening to the podcast, maybe a few days from now, We'll, uh, we'll let Jonathan share his uh, social media accounts towards the end of the show. That way, if you have any questions, you can send them his way. So uh, that is the uh, housekeeping stuff. We are in our second week of the National Weather Podcast Months. Uh, we got a, a great start off last week, and we look forward to uh, beginning uh, this week. So uh, maybe you're joining us from another podcast uh, that you like to listen to. So we welcome you and know that we are on every Wednesday night. Well, I don't want to say every Wednesday night, but a majority of the Wednesday nights uh, we are live here at about 8.15 Eastern, and uh, we just like to get, the weather, uh, get together and talk about the weather. And talking about the weather, it has been kind of active. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's been really crazy here in North Carolina, at least. Uh, we've had two uh, bouts of winter weather. This morning we had a surprise um, snow line that uh, kind of developed off the mountains and produced snow in uh, the Charlotte area, back towards the foothills. I'm not sure if Jordan got in on the snow today. But, Jordan, I'll bring you in because you guys got in on the snow Monday where a lot of uh, the areas in the triangle saw a few inches. Sure did, Scotty. Yeah, uh, we didn't get in on the snow today, but uh, actually I was out in California over the weekend, so I didn't get to experience this winter weather event, unfortunately. Um, but, yeah, from what I could hear, uh, parts of the triad over in Greensboro and Winston-Salem got upwards of about four or five inches in some places. Um, and then, you know, smaller amounts as you move further towards the coast. Um, but yeah, a great, great little March snowstorm. And, um, you know, we're kind of flip-flopping from what we saw here in February with the exceptional warmth. We're back into a winter-like pattern here for the time being. We'll see how long that lasts. That's the truth. I am so done with this cold weather. I'm ready for it to, uh, to stay warm. So uh, thank you for that, Jordan. I'll go over to, I'm going to save James for last because James is going to run the interview tonight. Uh, let's go over to Jared Smith. Jared, uh, you're there in the Charleston area. I know you guys didn't really get in on the wintry weather, but uh, it's still been chilly down your way too, huh? Yeah, it's been a bit of a problem for agricultural friends and our horticultural friends, and um, I really just wanted to try to say that on the air, I suppose. <laughs> um, it's been uh, We've had a couple frosty nights, and we got one more queued up for tonight. Uh, Going to get down into the 30s, pretty close to the coast, and then, uh, but still some patches of frost at the coast tonight. So, um, if you're listening in Charleston, you got some pets outside, you got some plants outside, bring them in, cover them up, cover up the plants, bring in the pets. If you cover up the pets, they might think that's a little weird. Um, they might not like that very much. Uh, we start warming up into the weekend ahead of our next storm system, uh, and uh, but you know, just uh, cool and dry. You guys are getting snow, and uh, we had. Uh, not a cloud in the sky and just a, just an elevated fire danger. Great opportunity to try out some of the Go 16 fire products here. But um, fortunately, nothing too crazy, but maybe some controlled stuff. But again, tomorrow, high fire danger. And make sure that you are covering your stuff, your plants up, because, you know, March, it's one of those seasons. Somebody was asking me today, is can we have spring? And it's like, well, March is a 
between spring and winter, and we're going to get a little bit of both. So that's just the way it is. Back to you, Scotty. All right. Thank you for that, Jared. I would toss it over to Shay Gibson. Shay is on the road tonight, so uh, happy to have Shay joining via mobile uh, mobile device. So, Shay, how are you this evening? Uh-oh. We may have lost him. Or, or else he's talking or else he's talking to his wife right now. There he is. Hey Shay. Yep, I'm I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> so how's uh how's things in your area? I know you're traveling tonight. Yeah, yeah. We're heading down to Florida. Um it, Jared hit the nail on the head. You know, we're we're really in a uh, a big transitional phase right now. This is spring. This is the end of the spring. I'm sorry, winter. End of the winter. Uh getting ready to go into spring. And uh we may have one more cold spell yet and uh eight to fourteen day outlook for the vernal equinox or the spring equinox um, on forward has this a little bit cooler than normal. So it'd be interesting to see what happens. Our sea surface temperatures are sitting right around 60 degrees and uh, we're expecting a pretty good sea breeze tomorrow southwest, Jared, in case you're uh, wondering, it may get pretty strong. Uh, so that means controlled fires or prescribed burning inland uh, just along the sea breeze front could circulate back out over the ocean so we may have some uh, smoke issues over the area as uh, these guys start to get into the season of getting these prescribed burnt prescribed burns out and back to you scotty all right Chase, thank you for that and uh, we hope you have a safe trip there and thanks for joining us tonight we're happy uh, that you were able to make it i will say a few of our panelists are off tonight ricky matthews is doing the last um uh uh, they're doing like a city tour uh, in their new weather mobile uh, that, that they've uh, got. So uh, Ricky's uh, on assignment tonight for uh, WCYB. Um, Eric is out of, uh, out of town tonight and as well as Ashley. Ashley got a new dog and I think they're finalizing the adoption and stuff tonight. So Ashley's not able to join us as well. And I think we've got everybody else covered. So uh, James, I'll bring in uh, you into this and I'll let you lead us into the conversation. But as we were talking about a little bit earlier, parts of our area, you live in Charlotte and I don't live too far from there. We saw a round of snow on Monday and then again another round this morning. Yeah, that's right, Scotty. I had some uh, Facebook video I was rolling uh, just a few moments ago on the show while uh, while Jared was talking and uh, Jordan were talking, and I can go ahead and, and share that again. Uh, yeah, we did have, as predicted, just kind of a brief flurry come on through uh, parts of the Piedmont today, including here in the Charlotte area. My wife told me as she was driving to work this morning, Everyone slammed on their brakes like it was the end of the world as big flakes started to fall. This video from uh, Nikki Lawrence sent it on over to the show to show us a little bit what she saw on her morning commute. Uh, and so uh, thanks to her for, for sharing uh, that video. We saw that fresh powder uh, following uh, falling up in the mountains yesterday. Uh, if you do follow the Carolina Weather Group on our live platforms, we were taking a look at some of those sky cams up there. And, of course, the mountains, you know, stranger to snow in March. Uh, but it's funny that we're talking about snow on the same day that I was going to jokingly say that today's show is brought to you by Claritin, because without it, I wouldn't be sitting here. So that's the Carolinas for you, right, Scotty? In the same sentence, we're talking about oh, spring allergies and snow. That's right. I, and um, I'll share it on the Carolina Weather Group Facebook page. But I took a picture of my car Monday. It was covered in snow. Uh, I had to come to Carolina Beach. We, I'm in a work conference. And the next day, it was pollen-covered. So you have snow-covered car one day, and then the next day it's all covered in pollen. So welcome to the Carolinas in March. Yeah. I mean, why, <laughs> why should we expect anything else, right? And, and a little fun fact for, for those who like these little things. This second year in a row that it has snowed on March the 12th in the Carolinas. Uh, we got a snow last year on March the 12th, a couple of inches. Mm -hmm. And then Monday's snow, again, you know, depending on where you lived, you got up to four to five inches. Uh, but again, uh, this is the second year in a row that it snowed on March the 12th 
uh, in the Carolinas, and it also is preceded by no snow in February for um, outside of the mountains in, in the Carolinas. So it's it's been a crazy two years with February and March kind of being flopped. Well, I can explain why yeah. that keeps uh, happening, but it sounds like uh, Shay has an explanation as well too. Shay, you you experiencing the same thing? Oh no no no! I was gonna say I wish Peter was on tonight. We could talk about the three nor'easters that have that have hit up uh, New England states and got. Another one possibly next week, so we could have uh, four this month and you know, pretty topsy-turvy weather. There are three powerful nor'easters in a row. The first one was pretty damaging to the coastline, and uh, then, the, then the other two were just, you know, salt on the wound. I mean, we already have a vulnerable coastline up there. I think another 108,000 people went out of power yesterday. Uh, it's, been, uh, it's been quite a ride, and it's been interesting to watch through the new, new GO-16, but even with all the fascinating technology and, and satellite imagery that we have there's still a lot of people suffering up there so keep them in your uh keep them in your thoughts yeah and what i can add to that is i think the reason that peter isn't on is uh, if you saw our web extra last week where we were watching very closely that snowplow outside peter's house i heard it was because they've now appointed him head of sanitation so that he can monitor all snow plowing operations in his neck of the woods so that's probably why he's not on tonight dead silence yeah. that's one, about one day, the quality one day, of my one jokes. day we'll get to the one day we'll get to the bottom of that one today. yes we will <laughs> someday yes. uh, i think we saw peter scraping the, the driveway for his neighbors so <laughs> well i'll i'll just wrap this conversation up by saying i can explain why it keeps snowing on this day because this coincides with my sister's spring break and she goes to school in upstate new york and despite my pleading i keep asking her not to bring the snow with her but she doesn't seem to listen. Although I will also add last year was another classic Carolina day where it snowed in the morning and then it was 70 degrees in the afternoon. That's right. And James, I would be regret to remiss this and we can probably bring Jordan in because I know uh, at the climate center, they've also been talking about this. It's the anniversary week of the great blizzard of 93 for big part of the uh, Southeast. So uh, something about this week, you know, uh, in March that, that we see some snows around here. March can definitely be a crazy month. I mean, you know, sometimes it's severe weather, other times it's winter weather. And and really, both of those came together so perfectly in that March superstorm. I mean, we had, you know, blizzard-like conditions up in the northeast. We had, well, even snow here in parts of the mid-Atlantic and southeast. And then as you went further south, we had the damaging squall line all the way down into Florida with some tornadoes. So, yeah, I mean, March is, is a, a month where you can get just about anything weather-wise, and that storm was definitely a perfect example of that. I think that storm still holds a record blowout of water in the Charleston area. The northwest flow just <laughs> dumped our tides all the way out to minus, I, I can't remember the number, it was ridiculous. Yeah. Well, it's like they say, March comes in like a lion and goes out like a lamb, so hopefully spring is right around the corner. I sure, I hope so. I'm ready for it. <laughs> uh, Scotty, I'm going to bring in our guest from uh, Milwaukee is where he joins us tonight, which only means one thing. Jonathan, are you just listening to this conversation about a southern winter and just laughing at us? Yeah, you guys are killing me. So Shay's on his way to Florida. All right, so we have that. <laughs> You're talking about snow in the morning and 70 in the afternoon. Let me give you an idea of what I'm seeing today. So it was 45 for a high today in Milwaukee. And as I was driving to pick up my daughter from school, I saw two kids riding their bikes with shorts on. So apparently 45 degrees is the threshold for spring fever up here in Wisconsin. So y'all are killing me here. Are you wearing a t-shirt right now? 
well, this is pretty much the only t-shirt I can, the only place I can wear a t-shirt right now. I can't wear it outside yet. It's 45 degrees. So I guess I got to wear it inside and I've still got a heater on over here, which you can't see off the, off the camera. So uh, when I get in my office in the morning, it's about 60 degrees downstairs. So I, I got to have a heater even in, even in sometimes even in summer. Uh, for those of us just joining us here at the bottom of the hour in the Carolina Weather Group, we're talking tonight with uh, Jonathan Erdman. He is a senior digital meteorologist for Weather.com and the Weather Company. And, uh, Jonathan, you have something like almost two decades of uh, experience at the Weather Channel. Is that right? The, the kind of the whole corporate uh, corporation of the, the different entities of the company? Uh, I, am, I am sorry, James. You were breaking up there. Let me. Uh, let me okay. Not, not a problem. Can my okay. other panelists hear me all right, or is the problem on my end? No, it was on your end, so we can okay. hear you good now. So, uh, My apologies. If it happens again, I will punt off to somebody else. We thought the problems tonight were going to be Scotty on his MiFi card, but a problem apparently is going to be right here on the wired connection. So, uh, Jonathan, I was just I was just uh, letting our, our, our audience know, or at least attempting to let our audience know, that uh, you have something like 20 years uh, with uh, the different entities of the, the weather company, the weather channel, and weather.com. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I started in the summer of 1998. Um and uh, came from, uh, I spent a couple of years in uh, Wichita working for um, what is now AccuWeather Enterprise Solutions. Uh, and so the opportunity to the Weather Channel came in 98 and moved out there to Atlanta. And, uh, you know, it was uh, <laughs> my first job when I got there, I was doing nothing but temperature forecasting. And uh, I was doing temperature forecasting and overnight shift across the country. And, uh, you know, boy, if you want to you chuckle at the, the state of technology in 1998, uh, we would do our temperature forecasting by having a basically a, a, a light pen and a board, and I'd, I'd have a U.S. map, and I'd have to draw out temperature isotherms very precisely, getting every mountain range in the U.S., everything right, 20s, 30s, 40s, and then it would extract the forecast temperatures, and then we'd have to go in and adjust them manually, just typing in 45, 65, 75, and you had to do that in overnight shift. So uh, <laughs> that was an interesting start, certainly. I'm, I'm having flashbacks to my uh, college labs uh, with all the hand-drawn maps. I mean, you've, you've seen quite the change in your career, uh, the Weather Channel evolving over the years. How did you end up at weather.com on the digital side of things? Well, it was about, uh, it was about a year after Twitter really started taking off. And um, I, I think being... Being this podcast, you probably all all know Tim Ballesty, uh, who is based in Asheville, North Carolina, and uh, he was he uh, he helped recruit me to the uh, digital team, and uh, you know I just remember him sending an email to the whole department saying, "Hey, there's this thing called Twitter," and we all just kind of looked at it and said, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> and we said, "Okay, we'll just file file that email away," and I said, "Well, maybe I'll just keep that email just for fun," and sure enough, um, you know. Uh, Tim Ballesty and uh, you know uh, several other several other folks at Weather.com, uh, Renee Willett, as Jardins, um, you know, and and they they really innovated uh, covering weather events with Twitter and with live chats. And eventually, about 2010, I thought, boy, that seems like a really fun way to uh, cover weather. And uh, so I had been a weather producer on the TV side for many years, and I just decided uh, I think I'd like to write about weather and actually treat it in social media and never had an inkling it would it would become this big you know it's funny you mentioned twitter and you think about twitter today we're using it to fire secretary of states and there you were at the weather channel as you were trying to figure out what to do with it initially so uh we've come we've come quite a, quite a long way um was there 
and I'm curious, you, we think about this today in the digital landscape from a content perspective, which is what my background's in. And, you know, we take risks with what are we going to do with Facebook and what are we going to do with Snapchat and, and what's the next big thing? Was there a point, Jonathan, as you were moving from the legacy Weather Channel platform to digital where you felt like this maybe is not going to last, but I want to be a part of this experiment? Yeah, and actually, it was really the first day on the job on the digital side. Um, I walked in during the, if you remember the Snowmageddon snowstorms in the mid-Atlantic states in February of 2010. Uh, I walked in on my first day on the job uh, during the second round that hit Baltimore and D.C. And uh, so it was it was nothing more than, hi, welcome to weather.com. You know how to tweet? Okay, sit down, go. And for about the next eight to ten hours straight, we we're just pumping tweets out, you know, updates on the storm. Okay, two inches per hour in DC, and just over and over again. I said, you know, this is, I think this is a thing. I think this is a way that we can pass information on, uh, cover a storm, uh, and help people make decisions. Uh, and so it was really that that first day, which was truly baptism by fire, uh, that I thought this could, this could really take off. What, what's a day like for you today as a senior digital meteorologist at weather.com? You come in the door in the morning, what happens? <laughs> well, there's certainly never a dull day. I will say that for sure. Um, you know, it, it, there, there could be a day in Milwaukee where it would just be sunny and a high of 45 and winds are light and there's maybe not a big storm coming up. So the local weather around here may not be eventful, but, you know, there's always a weather story going on somewhere. There's usually a storm somewhere in the United States to cover. And of course we cover weather around the world too. So if we're, we're, it's just a matter of picking out and prioritizing the top weather stories, the most important weather stories, uh, coordinating with our journalists and meteorologists to decide who's gonna, who's gonna write about what, who's gonna cover what. And uh, you know, we also cover weather around the world too. So, you know, we're, we're looking for, for instance, we're gonna, we're gonna be covering the, the second version, version 2.0 of Beast from the East that's going to be headed into Europe uh, this weekend, you know, another cold snap for them. So we're going to be covering that. Um, so we line up, the, we look for the weather stories to cover, and then we just parse it out among our group, what, who's going to cover what. And then really, I, I think the, the most fun part of the job then is to just go through our social media accounts and see what pictures and video have our users sent us. Because if if you've ever watched uh, if you've ever watched a show on history called Pawn Stars, um, Rick Harrison, who owns that pawn shop in, in Vegas, basically says, you know, you never know what's going to walk through that door, and you know, there's just some days where we get we get pictures and videos sent to us where I say, what the heck is that? Um, in fact, that just happened a couple days ago. We had we had some some pictures that we couldn't explain, and. That so that content tends to resonate with our users. When we put just some just some wow photos and wow video, take a look at this from who knows where. It could be from Slovakia, it could be from uh, Slovenia, it could be from uh, you know from North Carolina, it could be from anywhere. We put that content together, and that that kind of thing can really resonate. So, you know, there's just really not, not a dull day. It's 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 covering the main weather stories. It's digging up uh, weather research, maybe for long form stories. And then just seeing what our users sent us and saying, can you explain what this is? Can you explain why there's a triple rain, why there's a double rainbow? Can you explain any, what am I seeing here? So it's, 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 it's never dull. And Jonathan, that's, that's a great uh, topic you brought up because uh, there's a lot of folks that tag the Weather Channel on like Facebook or even on Twitter 
and they don't really give a lot of information. So maybe take this time to sort of explain the process of if you have material you want to share, uh, something really fascinating or interesting that you want to share with the Weather Channel, uh, what, what is the process for that for folks that want to do it and know the correct method of it? Sure. Well, um, you know, there's a couple ways we can do it. Uh, you can you can just uh, put an at Weather Channel mention in your tweet. Say, hey, at Weather Channel, I here's a picture I, I took of this strange cloud. What is this? Um, you can on Facebook, you can post to our um, the Weather Channel Facebook page. Um, and we look we look at that stuff at least a couple of times a day and and look for some compelling pictures, not just during a storm. But again, these these weird weather phenomena that people capture now with their smartphones everybody has a smartphone everybody can post and uh you know you know they, they want to know what what are what, what am i seeing here how unusual is this uh so uh again twitter and facebook are probably the best ways to do that um and frankly we obviously with the popularity of jim cantori we just have a lot of people that just tweet at jim cantori and and uh, tweet some amazing stuff when when he's out there. Not just his famous uh, thunder snow video, but uh, <laughs> you know they'll they'll send some photos and videos his way, and, and we'll look into that. So, and, and let me take this opportunity to ask a little bit uh, about content verification. Not only what you guys do and what you're putting out, but also what you're taking in from the All right, public. So we're having problems with James again. <laughs> um, James, are you back? I'm not sure. Go ahead and take it, Scott. Yeah, you're back. You're back now. Um, I was going to say, um, you know, you're talking about Jim Cantori. Uh, do you guys monitor um, maybe some of the local meteorologists? One, one Brad Panovich in Charlotte. You know, if there's a weather event going on in the Carolinas or maybe James Spann in the Alabama uh, area, do you guys monitor those tweets or Twitter accounts as well to kind of see what's going on in those areas? We do. We have a pretty extensive list of local meteorologists. Um, we also have, you know, obviously all the National Weather Service um, feeds. We monitor those. Uh, of course, we monitor, you know, uh, hashtag NCWX. You know, we monitor those um, hashtags for snow and hurricanes and and you name it. So, um, yeah, it's it's a real joy of the job just to be able to see the conversations that are going on out there and some of the some of the discussions, some of the great posts, some of the great insights that are out there. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just a lot of fun. And there, there are times where I just, I can't believe I get paid to do this, you know, just to um, see what people are saying, see what the conversations are. And uh, again, for, for social, see what kind of photos people are sending out to us and uh, you know, that we can turn into content. It sounds like, honestly, it sounds like a dream job. Um, one question you're talking about looking at hashtags and stuff. You know, the Weather Channel over the past couple of years has started naming winter storms and, and things like that. Um, ha, has those names really, because to me, you know, if I'm looking through Twitter, I see a lot of hashtag Skyler or hashtag Quinn. Or, uh, I guess for you, it's a little bit easier to kind of look for those pictures and videos and stuff in those uh, affected regions. Uh, so I would say in that rim of the pot thing that, that name storms have really helped you out. Yeah, and, and this is the, you know, we, we started naming winter storms in uh, the 2012-2013 uh, season. So we've been doing this, uh, we've been doing this for a while now. Um, yeah, we, we're, we're gradually moving some of the hashtags uh, away from just the name to either Storm Skyler or Winter in this. And now we're doing Winter Storm Skyler. We just found that that resonates more. Uh, obviously, sometimes if you use the name of some famous celebrity, 
there could be so, obviously some confusion with that. Um, so yeah, we're, we, we get quite a bit of content that way. And, uh, again, it's just a, you know, it just helps us to organize the conversation and, uh, you know, uh, around that particular event. Um, it's just a shorter, more efficient way of saying that than the, the mid-March 2018 Nor'easter, you know, it just, uh, it just, it helps us out in that regard. Yeah. Um, I think James is working yeah, for I'm, uh, trying I'm to get his issue. Uh, so you good, James? I, I think so. I'm, okay. I've done some things to conserve some bandwidth. We'll give it a try. I apologize uh, to to everyone at home and, and listening, and and to Jonathan. The question I was I was starting to tee up, I think, when my internet dropped, was just talking about the content, talking about the steps you guys take to prepare something as professionals, but also not only putting those hours and efforts into what you're producing, but also what you're verifying uh, from the from the audience. So I think the the question that I'd be interested to get your take on is what what is um, expected of content from the Weather Channel digital pr- brand on social media, on digital, uh, as opposed to so much of what we see from other third-party sources who maybe are trying to do good, but they're really just creating hype with, uh, with that 30-day model they're putting out on social media. Yeah, that's a that's that's an important point, um, and frankly, that's the most important point of uh, really the most important thing I do in my job and our staff meteorologists do on their job is to manage the tone of the weather stories that are being told. Um, we take very seriously um, striking the right tone. Uh, for example, with the potential system middle of next week in the Northeast, um, you know, we have to strike the right tone. I mean, every Every tease, uh, every journalist journalist story about that, um, and you know everything has to be passed by one of our meteorologists first to see that the tone is correct. Uh, obviously, we can't say you know another another blizzard headed for the northeast next week. You know that's obviously the tone would be overhyped and just too loud at this point in time. So, yeah, that that is the that is the single most important part of. Uh, the digital meteorologist job at weather.com is to manage the tone of what's going out there so that we are um, meteorologically responsible. Uh, we take, we take the brand very seriously and we take the meteorological community very seriously. Uh, we, we want to, uh, we want to uh, cover what the science can tell us, but not go too far. Um, so, that you know that's that's kind of the meteorology side of it um if there's kind of almost a separate side to that um regarding the social media pictures that we get uh obviously we vet those very carefully um one of the rules of thumb we say is that assume that a photo that is sent to us is bogus unless we prove that is not unless we can't prove that is bogus um and some of those are pretty hard you know we can do 10 eye searches uh and some of the you know, obviously, we've all seen some of the obvious fakes that are out there. But uh, uh, a couple of years ago, we had a uh, uh, we had a talk from the Pointer Institute, uh, and a guy named Al Tompkins, who is just an excellent follow, by the way. Um, who, again, this was about four or five years ago. We were just starting to get an idea that you know it was very easy to fake weather photos, and his talk was just an eye opener to us. And we left the talk basically thinking that. Everything is BS. Uh, we have to be careful with every single photo. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it's um, 
long answer there, but uh, yeah, we are we are very careful both in the meteorology side and also um, with uh, with social media photos and video, just to make sure that you know, we're we're keeping things on the up and up. Yeah, if I see that Oldsmore waterspout video or the uh, picture overlaid into something else for the next hurricane, I'm going to lose my mind. That's uh, that one comes up everywhere, <laughs> but. Um, you know, the horseshoe cloud from NWS Elko, that was a really cool one. Very, very unique. And, you know, when I first looked at that, I'm thinking, there's no way that's real. And, you know, I've seen these horseshoe clouds before, but never, never looking like a squared off staple. And that was pretty neat. But tell us, uh, kind of going forward in the in the topic of content, tell us some of your more memorable experiences, some of your more memorable stories and some of the more amazing things you've seen. Oh gosh, yeah, that's a boy. That's a loaded question. So much, so much memorable stuff. Um, you know, obviously the easy answers are the big storms. Uh, I remember working as a weather producer for the morning show during Katrina's landfall, and uh, you know, and actually before Katrina's landfall, I I remember the work in the the day the uh, the cone shifted west. Uh, basically, it was the cone had for a time been centered. Uh, around Apalachicola or uh, Destin, Panama City for Katrina. And then in 24 hours, that cone shifted all the way to being centered on southeast Louisiana. And so I, I, I remember the little things. I remember the, the Met briefings that were given that day where um, one of our senior Mets, uh, Tom Moore, basically said, well, New Orleans is in the cone now. And, uh, you know, obviously when you say that, all the journalists' ears just perk up. Because, of course, just a, about a month or so before Katrina, we we showed a special on the Weather Channel explaining the New Orleans problem. Uh, you know, I, I remember the landfall. Um, you know, I remember sweating bullets over New Orleans. Uh, I remember the somewhat relieved period we had for a while for New Orleans, uh, but obviously scared for Mississippi. You know, we had Cantori on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Uh, you know, we knew it was going to be terrible for the Mississippi coast, but we had that brief moment of, of relief. And then you know, at 8.14 a.m. Central Time, that flash flood warning came out from the New Orleans Weather Service that changed everything, that changed the tone of the show. Um, you know, we, we, were, um, we had to take a lot of deep breaths during the commercial breaks, you know, just trying to figure out what's going on in New Orleans right now. How do we, how do we get the word out? How, do we, how can we... You know, you just felt helpless at that point. So, you know, Katrina was a Katrina was a big one. Um, I remember the May third, nineteen ninety nine Oklahoma City tornado, uh, particularly because uh, again, I was just temperature forecasting, but uh, the Weather Channel ended up simulcasting for a while the uh, KOCO uh, Oklahoma City live feed, and you know, you just as a meteorologist, you just couldn't concentrate on forecasting temperatures when you're watching what happened. Um, you know, I, the, obviously the April 2011 super outbreak, um, the, well, <laughs> I'm speaking to the uh, Carolina weather group here. So I probably should also mention the April 16th, 2011 high risk day and, and Raleigh tornado day. You know, I, I thought that was going to be the big event of April 2011. And then of course, April 27th just blew it out of the water. Um, you know, I, there, there have been several outbreaks. I remember covering where there were you know, a few tornado warnings in the morning and then the lull and then the supercells in the afternoon and evening. But I, I can't imagine, I didn't like the super outbreak where we just had three waves 
of tornado warnings in the morning, kind of mid-morning, and then, of course, the, the third round. Um, I have never covered the breadth and scope of tornado warnings like that that uh, that super outbreak. So uh, there's a lot of other events I remember just because they were weird events. Um, you know, just seeing things like um, ice shoves in the in the Great Lakes or in the upper Midwest, you know, seeing... You know, just seeing pictures of these hail glaciers, these these two to three foot tall piles of hail in the Texas Panhandle. Um, you know, I I remember seeing um, you know just simple events like like um, like fog bows. You know, we'll get pictures of fog bows going on and that 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 are sent to us. So I remember a lot of the weird stuff, but of course a lot of the big events as well. Yeah, those ice shoves are, are always a those are really really unique, and it's not just the fact that they're being blown in, you know, the ice is being blown to the coast, but it's the noise it makes. It's just amazing how much noise that it sounds like shattering glass nonstop. Yeah. And, you know, most of those, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lake up here in Wisconsin, the, the biggest interior lake called Lake Winnebago. Um, it's basically between Green Bay and Milwaukee. And that lake sees ice shoves almost every single March or April. Uh, and most of those just see these, you know, 30 to 40 foot piles of ice just pushed slightly ashore. But, you know, we had one event on uh, Mille Lacs Lake, Minnesota in, uh, I believe it was in early May of 2013 that uh, I think you're talking about, Shay, where just this this pile of, this surge just came in and just went right into people's homes. And and again, you're just, you're just hearing all this breaking siding and glass and everything. And it's just surreal. Jonathan, you talked about some of those major weather events, those history-making weather events that you've covered over your years. I'm curious, what type of personal toll does that take on you covering those events, looking back on those events? How did they shape your life? Well, you know, I'll just kind of start, maybe I should just start with uh, when I was seven years old. Um, You know, the reason I'm actually, I had any interest in weather was uh, I had a, we had a weird early April tornado that came right down my street in southern Wisconsin. Um, you know, early April tornadoes aren't, aren't a thing here usually, but it was kind of a, it was kind of a cold core, low top supercell, uh, situation. And, uh, you know, so that was, that was the first big weather event I just remember being a part of. And, you know, it just flipped the swing set upside down in my backyard. Um, you know, classic lasted for 15 seconds and it was over. Um, so, you know, that was, that was kind of the first one. Um, I'll be honest, Katrina took a big toll, um, you know, and, and obviously 2005, that entire season, you know, Rita, which unfortunately is a forgotten hurricane, but obviously it was terrible in Cameron Parish, Louisiana, you know, Rita and, and Wilma. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I mentioned it earlier, just while Katrina was happening, all you, all you feel is hopeless, just helpless. You know, we're, we're getting the warning out. We're, we're talking for days about this is something that's going to hit the Gulf Coast. And then you just, you, you see, you see the levee breach um, and you just, and, and people that unfortunately could not make it out and you just, you just say, we failed. What, what, what more could we have done? Um, it, it takes, it takes a big toll. Uh, you know, the, um, you know, the Joplin tornado in 2011, that was another case where, you know, we're, we're in a, it, we're in this age of Doppler radar with, with, with spotter networks and everything. And yet, you know, just the, the toll that that took, I mean, it, 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 it takes a while. The big ones, 
the big ones really, really do take a toll. Um, and you know, I, I, I don't think I've ever gotten over Katrina just from a forecast perspective. I just, just feel like somehow, despite the, the, the weather community's warnings days ahead of time, which just you, you just still feel like what, what more could we have done? that experience stay with you each and every morning as you're sitting in that editorial meeting does that experience play into how each day's content is handled uh it does i mean those those scars don't ever go away um you know we you know from that point from each and every one of these events that happened um when you think about covering it you just think okay what what more can we do to convey the danger of this particular storm to our audience what what else can we do? Um, you know, just just w- what can we weed out some of the Met jargon that we might use behind the scenes, just shooting the breeze among the meteorologists? Can we get that jargon out and just basically in blunt terms tell people there's going to be 10 feet of water uh, with the landfall? There's going to be, you know, there's going to be um, an inch of ice accumulation with 30 mile per hour winds. You're going to be without power probably for a week or more. Um, so it does, uh, you know, it does kind of shape our message, um, you know, trying to trim away some of the meteorology and just throw it out there in very simple impact terms. What will it actually mean for you? Um, you know, it, that because that's ultimately why we're doing this. If we can't, if we can't uh, help people make decisions and make the right decisions, uh, we can talk all the meteorology jargon that we want. Uh, we can talk about. Uh, we can talk about yeah we for, we forecasted the eight foot storm surge correct but um, ultimately it's it's got to impact people and it's got to help them make decisions otherwise we're just not doing our jobs. How difficult is that in the content creation and editing process to remove some of the more scientific weather jargon, the more advanced stuff, and and putting it and making sure it's in language that the general audience can understand? Uh, I'll tell you what it's a challenge. Every single article I write. And it's been a challenge since I've in the eight years that I've been on weather.com and it'll probably continue to be until I'm done doing this. Um, you know, there, we, you tend to, you, you get, you, you work into a default, right? You say, okay, how much rain are we going to get? How much snow are we going to get? What's the timing? Um, this is why it's happening, you know, for people that are interested in why, what the jet stream setup is or what the steering flow is for this hurricane. You, 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 it's easy to fall into that you know, preconceived bucket, but then you have to, you have to step out from that and say, okay, I'm a user. I'm not, you know, we don't, 99.9% of our users are not meteorologists. Um, What do they need to know about this? Uh, So, you know, sometimes I'll write that first draft through and and there'll be, there'll be meteorology and there are things we'll have to cover there, but then I have to step, take a step back and say, okay, what is, what is our user going to have to know about this? Well, how will this help them? Um, you know, for instance, you may want to reschedule, you may want to reschedule your flight out of LaGuardia or JFK or Newark uh, or Charlotte or Raleigh uh, because of this storm. If you, if you have a flight plan for um, Friday morning, you're probably going to have, you're probably going to have a canceled flight um, because that's, you know, that's, that's the kind of, that's the kind of thing that has impacts on people's lives. You know, you're, you're probably, you're probably not going to be able to travel anytime from Friday morning through Saturday afternoon in such and such an area because of either ice or snow. So yeah, it, it, um, it impacts every single time I write an article, every single, every single, uh, social post we put out, 
Um, you know, what does our user want to know? How can we help them make decisions? Because that's ultimately what it's about. I want to so go just to add to that, Jonathan, uh, you, you brushed on a topic of terminology and trying to, to sort of turn it into lay terms. But there's some terms that kind of get used in our in our profession. They end up they end up getting kind of tweaked a little bit, say like bomb cyclone or rain bomb or uh, some of those terms that you see pop up out of out of the origins of meteorology uh, or some of the terminology that we use. So do you have uh, any any <laughs> terms that you would you would use to get people to look your way? Polar vortex. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, run. Everybody run. <laughs> that was probably the single best example that we've seen in the last five years. Um, you know, it's, it's and it and it's a fun part of the job, to be honest. Uh, we our our users are curious about these terms that get thrown out there and become become pop culture um you know it gives it gives us the opportunity to basically say well okay um so polar vortex isn't new <laughs> uh it's um you know this is what it is there's stratospheric and tropospheric versions of it and but uh, to your point you know we have to how do we distill this into something that people will not get lost in and care about so um, so yeah, you know, bomb cyclone, that's, that was a perfect example. That was another, that was another thing that became almost pop culture. Uh, so we, we do, we do do that. And we do look forward to explaining these terms and say, you know, maybe put that, maybe put that lower in the article. And we want to make sure all the important stuff is near the top that they need to know about a, a storm. But, you know, if you're interested, here's what, a, here's what bombogenesis is. This is all it means. You know, it happens off the East coast, you know, three to maybe seven times a winter. So there's nothing new. And when it happens, this is what happens. So, um, so yeah, we, we, we do do that. And, uh, you know, to be honest, it, it resonates with our users and, uh, they, they do click on it. They do, they are interested in it. So we, we do explain it when those, when those things happen, when they go viral like that. We sure do appreciate it because translating what we do is, is very difficult. I mean, if you read any, forecast area discussion from any National Weather Service office, you'll see that they're not <laughs> they're not really translating out of that yet, quite yet. But it's um, it's a very tough science to put our forecast into lay terms. It's, it's really hard. Um, you know, you're just trying to explain the weather pattern and, and why maybe the winds will come up a certain way or why there will be so much rain, why there's going to be such a severe line of storm. It's very hard sometimes to do that. So. Uh, I'll pass it back over to, to either James or Scotty. I don't know. We're going on the nine o'clock hour here. I didn't know if any of the other panelists have any questions. Yeah, that's exactly right, uh, Shay. And it is coming up in the nine o'clock hour. And we're talking this week with uh, Jonathan Erdman, a senior digital meteorologist at weather.com. And I want to head over to Charleston, South Carolina. And Jared Smith has a question for Jonathan. Jared. Yeah, Jonathan, following up on this, I, I, I've, I would love to know, like, how has social media really changed weather communication? Um, you know, from when you got started in 96, 97, 98 to now. Well, you know, it, let, let's face it. Twitter is basically the AP Newswire of, of 2018. Um, you know, it's that how do we, you know, again, you have to verify these things. You know, not everything, not everything on Twitter is, is accurate, may be accurate, but that's basically what it is. It has become. And, uh, you know, I, I think I like to think of. Twitter right now. And of course there's, you know, Twitter has trolls and Twitter has, has some negativity here and there, 
But I like to think of Twitter and weather as just a big weather community that collaborates together to help get the story out. Um, just the the amount of expertise out there uh, is just is is exponential. Um, you know, I think one of the best things to happen in weather Twitter over the last two to three years is to see the number of scientists, of PhDs that are out there that now have their own Twitter account that are putting their expertise out there. Um, you know, yeah, it, it's, it's great to have Jordan on. It's, it's great to see him there. I, you know, I, I, I think of the Southeast Regional Climate Center as, as rock stars, you know, among, among the, uh, the regional climate centers out there just for the expertise and the perspective they lend. But, uh, you know, just, just, seeing the, um, just seeing experts on uh, the polar vortex, experts on hurricanes, on, on tornadoes and severe weather, and, and, and just on general pattern out there that are putting out their message uh, on Twitter, I think has been just spectacular. I mean, I learned something new every day from some PhD just sitting in his office that just happens to have a few extra experiments that is kind enough to share their perspective and expertise on, well, what is this polar vortex split actually going to mean for anybody here living on the surface? And I think it's just spectacular. So to me, that's the biggest change in the past couple of years is these meteorological scientists that have just offered their expertise on Twitter. It's been fabulous. Yeah, there's, there's folks like Phil Klotzbach. I mean, you know, wow. He's a machine when it comes to stats and what the tropics are doing and everything tropics, you know. He'll tell you when the last day of the month, what was the strongest hurricane at what latitude, and you name it. So you're getting constant feed from very seasoned scientists out there. And it's, it's really good for us, too, because we're learning a lot, you know. And Jim Cantori said it right when he was on our show. He said, you know, Twitter has a way of self-correcting the science. So if there's some questionable material out there, it will correct itself very quickly or um, it, it'll, it'll straighten it out where everybody's back on the same page again. So uh, one big learning machine. That's what I really love about the Twitter sphere and the, and the meteorology world. Let's go over to Jordan. I think he has a follow-up question for Jonathan. Yeah, thanks, James. A great segue to what I was going to ask you, Jonathan. And by the way, thank, thanks for the kind words. And, and you've been a tremendous uh, proponent of, of CERT through the years. And I know especially our Climate Perspectives tool, we really appreciate you broadcasting that. And I guess what I wanted to ask was, you know, so we've talked a lot about um, your of extreme weather events and sort of day-to-day -day weather. But I know you also try to incorporate a lot of climate-related information into your reports and your articles. Um really trying to put things in perspective. I was just curious, have, have you noticed how that incorporation of weather and climate information, how has that resonated with your audience? Do they really appreciate, you know, yeah, it was 80 degrees on a, on a February day. Well, that's where this ranks in the climatological record. You know, do they appreciate that extra sort of climatological perspective? And, you know, have, have you noticed anything, I guess? Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, that's, that's been, that's been something that we've pushed hard both on the digital side and the TV side for about the last 15 years is, um, you know, just to, just to go beyond the forecast a little bit, give them, give them the, give them the information they need, but then at the same time, you know, how rare is it to get a six inch snowfall in Raleigh in March? Um, you know, that, that type of information and, you know, really, um, 
all the credit to that uh, goes not just to CERC and Western Regional Climate Center and those, but uh, you know, to to the National Weather Service now data sites that have put just this wealth of information out there uh, that really anybody can access and anybody can just poke around in there and find. Okay, what was the snowiest March day on record in in Charlotte? What was the what was the heaviest calendar day rain in in Asheville? Okay, how unusual is this? Well, this is pretty unusual. So. Um, so the short answer there, Jordan, is, um, you know, we, we do that with almost every weather story we tell because we, we want to take it a little extra, give them a little extra perspective, uh, especially in this day and age where it just seems like <laughs> sometimes the extreme weather is becoming more of the norm these days. Um, so it just, the- with, with Jonathan, I wanted to uh, ask a question that a viewer had written in, uh, looking for some advice on podcasting and Jonathan, I understand from, from reading Twitter that you may be taking part in a new podcast just this week. Is that right? Yeah, that's right, James. We're launching uh, the Weather Channel podcast uh, on Friday uh, with uh, Ari Sarsalari, uh, who, of course, used to work in uh, Huntsville, Alabama for many years, and uh, he's a fellow Wisconsinite. So uh, we're going to launch uh, again on Friday, and that'll be uh, on iTunes. You can just search for the Weather Channel podcast. Um, so we're going to just uh, shoot the breeze about the uh the three stooges of nor'easters that we've had and potentially what the uh, fourth stooge that might be next week. So, um, so yeah, I appreciate that. We'll be, uh, we'll be launching that uh, on Friday. Are you going to be yeah, doing we'll have it to from get you on the national weather podcast month? Uh, we'll have to get you guys in on that. Well, we'd love to, again, uh, we, we, we follow you guys a lot and we, we enjoy what you guys do at Carolina weather group. So absolutely. We'd love to come back. I think I stepped on Shay a little bit as he was mentioning uh, National Weather Podcast Month, and uh-uh. you guys are starting off. Jared, but... James is out again. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't. James, can you hear us? Uh, yeah. What's weird is I never lose you guys. <laughs> All right, well, let's. Uh, I'll let you go ahead and finish. I know you're about to close this up. Yeah, I was just mentioning, going to piggyback what Shay said about uh, National Weather Podcast Month. And so, Jonathan, you guys are kicking off your show at a great time here. It's so many of our great shows uh, uh, coming together. Uh, are you going to be doing it from right where you're sitting? Because that sounds like a pretty good mic you've got right there. And I'll also point out of a really great, stable internet connection. I'm very jealous. Unlike James, who doesn't have oh a stable God. internet right now. <laughs> uh, but go ahead, tell us uh, kind of some of the, uh, the, the dynamics of your podcast, Jonathan. Yeah, it's just going to be free form discussing whatever weather story happens to be going on at the at that particular week. So we you know we just kind of, as luck would have it, we're just in that bewitching time of March where we had the number of nor'easters, and then we just kind of walked into that. But you know, we'll talk uh, we'll we'll talk other topics too. We'll talk about uh, you know obviously severe weather is going to start ramping up uh, in theory soon. Uh, <laughs> So we'll talk about those. We'll we'll talk about you know hot, interesting weather research that's going on, um, and just just other topics that that people uh, ping us about. Uh, so we're looking forward to it. You know, it's going to be uh, you know it's going to be basically two or three guys you know at the bar having a beer talking weather. Um, if you remember our uh, our advertising campaign we had in the mid '90s called the Front, where we had guys dressed up as I don't know if we'll do that. I don't know if we'll have the hot guy and the cold guy, the cold miser and the heat miser. Um, you know, who knows, maybe for Halloween, we'll do that, but, uh, yeah, it'll be fun. I'll just be, uh, just, just shooting the breeze, you know, just chatting weather. Sounds like maybe we can do a couple of shows every year and just kind of just talk about the state of weather. That, that sounds fun. We've had Ari on our show a few times and Ari's a hoot as well. So, uh, that, that would be a good time having you guys on and and us every couple of months or whatever, and just kind of talking about the, the ins and outs of weather. 
Hey, anytime. Uh, nothing, nothing like talking Carolina weather. So <laughs> that's that. the truth. That's the truth. Well, I know we had one question as we we kind of uh, wrap up. And James, if if you're there, I'll let you follow up after this. Um, you're talking about you guys getting ready to start a podcast. What do you see the future being like for digital content and meteorology with, with social media? You know, there has been. This is the second year of the National Weather Podcast Month, so there's a lot of podcasts that are popping up talking about weather. What do you what do you see the future being in the next few years uh, in this part of the weather industry? Well, you know, Scotty, it's pretty eye-opening. I was at a uh, AMS Milwaukee chapter meeting uh, a couple months ago, and, uh, you know, admittedly, these these AMS meetings, you know, it's held at the UW-Milwaukee campus, so there's a lot of a lot of students in the class, but uh, um, the, the chapter president said, hey, just show hands here. Um, so how do you get your warnings? Um, you know, how do you get your warnings? You get them by TV, no hands went up. Uh, none went up. Wow. Uh, okay. I'm glad Ricky's not here to hear that. Do <laughs> uh, you, you, you get them from radio? And, you know, a few hands went up. Uh, how, about, how about from your app? Virtually every hand went up. And, uh, you know, obviously there's, there's issues. There can be issues with apps and, uh, you know, just having an icon and a temperature really tell you what you need to know. There's... That's that's an issue, but I, I think we're just going to have to accept the fact that this is this is where the new generation is going. This is where, you know, this is where this is where my daughter is. You know, my daughter doesn't watch television. She does not watch television, um, and so we're we're going to have to realize it's all it's all digital. She doesn't listen to radio. She doesn't listen to a radio station. So, <laughs> how do you reach people that don't watch TV and don't listen to radio? Uh, right. You reach them through their phone and you reach them through whatever social channels they use. Um, so it's going to be tough. Um, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> I don't have the answers. I don't have the magic bullet here. Um, but we, you know, I, I just watch my daughter who's 13 and I watch what she does and <laughs> she does not have a TV in her room. She never watches television and she doesn't listen to radio. So how do you reach a person like that and realize that there are millions of teenagers and 20 somethings out there it's a good question that's a good point and i mean we kid all the time with shay but i mean it's really a serious point you know uh shay likes to talk about how rob fowler in charleston does snapcast you know he'll do a quick 10 15 second forecast on snapchat and uh you know it, it seems like we're gonna have to go to those those mediums at least instagram snapchat uh who knows what they'll come up with next but you know to reach this younger generation their channel on facebook as well also very, very cool. I just got a message from James saying that I need to close this out. So, uh, Jonathan, we appreciate you being with us tonight. Uh, we'd love, like we said, we'd love to maybe we can uh, continue uh, talking in email and get you guys uh, come back on you and Ari both and kind of talk about how your experience has been in the podcast world maybe a few months from now. But, uh, again, we appreciate your time tonight. For all those who are watching tonight, we appreciate you guys tuning in here to the Carolina Weather Group. Or if you're listening on our podcast, thank you for listening. Uh, next week, as we continue the National Weather Podcast Month, we're going to be talking to the Weather Junkies. Uh, they'll be joining us next uh, Wednesday night, the 21st of March. And then we close out National Weather Podcast Month on the 28th with uh, the uh, National Weather Service uh, Norman, Oklahoma office, uh, Todd Lindley. He is the Science and Operations Officer out at the Norman office. Uh, he's going to be talking about forecasting wildfires. We had Todd on back a couple months ago, but... The great internet outage of the uh, South Region's office cut him off that night. So Todd's going to be joining us again uh, at the end of the month to, to finish up his talk with us. So uh, we are jam-packed for the rest of uh, rest of March, but 
Uh, we're looking at uh, opportunities to fill slots in April and May. So if you have any particular guests or any topic that you would like for us to uh, talk about here on the Carolina Weather Group, please reach out to us, and uh, we'll do our best to uh, get um, to get that show scheduled. So uh, anybody else before we close out have anything to say before um, before we close out? We're not going to do Tweet of the Week since James's Internet's acting up and Shay's not around. So um, Jordan or Jared or Shay, James, you guys have anything before we, before we finish up? All right, I'm getting a thumbs up, so I'm assuming everybody's good. So thanks for watching us here at the Carolina Weather Group. We hope you have a great rest of the week, and we'll see you back here next Wednesday night on the 21st of March with the Weather Junkies at 8.15 p.m.